Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. It is hump day. Welcome to Wednesday's edition of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I am your host, James Murphy, a.k.a. Murph, at Murph's underscore Boston ST, where the ST stands for sports talk. You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at Murph's underscore Boston ST. And I start this episode off with a lot of sad news that broke on Monday for Red Sox Nation, and that's the retiring of Dustin Pedroia. Now, a lot of people may have kind of forgotten about Petey, right? He hasn't really played since 2017. He's been in and out of the lineup, you know, past couple seasons. Actually, he's been out of the lineup pretty much, all for the exception of like a couple of games. And that's difficult to handle. I mean, that really is because Pedroia was like the face of, you know, the Red Sox for a long period of time, you know, hand in hand with Ortiz, right? It was Ortiz and then Pedroia, always one and two. And now it's. You know, it's definitely difficult to, you know, close another chapter in Red Sox history in a great player's career, as it always is with when anyone retires who's made a significant impact on the game. And Pedroia definitely, definitely has done such a thing. Me saying this is very heavy because if anyone is like me in terms of being a Red Sox fan, or even just a baseball enthusiast. You know the importance that Dustin Pedroia had to the game. You saw it every damn day. Every night, his jersey was always dirty. And he was the epitome of a hard workhorse. His work ethic, his effort, and he gave a 1,000% on every pitch, every play, every swing. It was impeccable. And I don't know if you'll ever see that again. From any player, really. I mean, every time you went to Fenway, you always saw Pedroia's jersey dirty. Watching it on the TV, it'd be like the second inning where he'd be coming up for his first at-bat in the first. Jersey's dirty, right? It's just the way he played, and he wouldn't accept a clean, crisp jersey. He just wouldn't. And that is what you want to see in every single player. Every single player. And Pedroia embodied that his whole career here in Boston. And ultimately did it... Uh, did it backfire on him? I don't want to say it did because, you know, his knees, you know, he got injured when his when his leg got slid into by Manny Machado that time in 2017. Now, is that his fault? Uh, Pedroia's fault? No. Is that Machado's fault? Well, that's a story for another day because that kind of sparked a little Orioles-Red Sox rivalry for a little bit there. And I don't want to pin it being on that one play or that one moment. But ever since that moment when he injured his knee, it has not been good for Pedroia. So that's an argument for another day, but I do want to focus more on the good of Pedroia first. Uh, you know, I'm looking at his stats right now, and they're so good for the type of player that he was, where a lot of his scouting reports were not that good, let's be honest. They really weren't. Um, he was undersized. He was actually originally an undersized shortstop. 
and had a little bit of hit uh, hitting, no power. So he wasn't really sought after as a prospect, but he turned out to have a phenomenal career. Now, is it Hall of Fame worthy? That's 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 up for debate. Me personally, I think if he was able to play the past couple seasons in 2018, 19, and 20, even if it was average play, I think he would have got in. But the fact that he was that he he's been he played a total of nine games in the past three seasons, three and eighteen and six and nineteen. I just don't think that's gonna cut it. I really don't think that's gonna cut it, and it's a shame because his whole career. His whole career leading up to those last two, I mean, I guess you can call it three seasons, including 2020, where he didn't play, were very, very good. It was arguably borderline, you know, Hall of Fame. And if he could just, you know, contribute it to the 2018 World Series team, if he could contribute, you know, obviously defensively, which you could expect. And like I said, just be an average player, whether it's hitting or fielding or hitting for power, I think it would have, you know, got him in. And I'm looking, as I'm looking at his stats, it's hard for me not to look at his career batting average, and it's relatively good. You know, I'm not going to include his 2006 year, his little cup of coffee year, but 2007, 317, 2008, 326, you know, it's, you know, hovering about around 300 pretty much his whole career from then. But as he retires on Monday, his career batting average sits at .299. Oh, that must be so upsetting. That he must, uh, he must feel so upset by that because if he, in his three games in 2018, he hit .091, going one for 13, a uh, one for 11, excuse me. In 2019, he goes, where is it? He goes two for 20. It's like, ugh. You just feel for the guy because, you know, at the end of the day, if he could just have a .300, 300 batting average, his case and argument would be so much stronger for the Hall of Fame. Now, granted, .299 uh, batting average is right there. I mean, it's just about 300, and anyone that tries to argue that it's not 300 is probably clueless with baseball. But just to have a crisp, clean 300 next to your batting average for your career would be a beautiful thing to to admire as you move forward into your next chapter in life if you're Dustin Pedroia. Now, that being said, you know, it's 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 a very sad day in Red Sox Nation, I should say, you know, a very sad time where, you know, he, like I said, he gave everything to this team. He was a huge factor on two World Series teams. He won rookie of the year in 2007, MVP in 2008. Multiple-time All-Star, multiple-time Gold Glove Award winner. And when you had Pedroia at second base, day in and day out, you knew what you were going to get at second base. And that was a 1,000% effort, immense work ethic, and someone who embodies the game of baseball. And I was hoping that Dustin Pedroia can have kind of a farewell game or a farewell series Similar to what David Wright had, the uh, third baseman for the Mets a few years ago, struggling with those back injuries, but he was able to play one game at third base and just really make you know all of it and be there for the fans. And you know it sucks that you know there's no fans right now in baseball where Pedroia could just kind of struggle and just play on opening day or whatever and then just retire from there. But I get it. I get the decisions he's he's making and 
probably for the team having that contract lifted it will be more beneficial as it frees up money but money aside this this is not a good look uh, I don't mean a good look it's just not a good feeling right now sitting with you as you're a Red Sox fan because deep down regardless where your stance is on Pedroia whether you're a fan or you know don't like him you'd like to see him play one more game as a Red Sox and the fact that he played all his games with the Red Sox he's played a career 1512 games and the fact that all of them were with the Red Sox is something extremely special and something you don't see anymore. And not just baseball, but just sports in general. So, you know, round of applause for Pedroia. And hopefully his next chapter in life is a wonderful, wonderful endeavor. So thank you, Dustin Pedroia. Thank you for everything you did for the Boston Red Sox. Thank you for everything you did for the game of baseball. And thank you for everything you did being a role model in sports. With that being said, with the the sadness kind of out of the way, let's try to look to something a little exciting to, you know, pivot this episode's mood. And I kind of want to shift over to the um, the headline that broke over the weekend. I know I'm a little late to this, but how about the Cardinals trading for Nolan Arenado? Now, if you're not familiar with Arenado, he is one of the best third basemen in all of baseball. You could argue he's the best. You could argue he's top three. He, You can argue he's top five. Regardless, he is a top-tier third baseman. He can hit. He can hit for power. And his glove is exceptional. It's unbelievable the type of player that he is and the fact that the, um, that the Rockies just kind of dumped him for a handful of prospects is questionable. Now, I understand that they're trying to make a baseball decision, and this could be a way of doing such a thing. But when you have a talent in Nolan Arenado, who's in the prime of his career, who just signed an extension with you uh, two years ago, last year, I'm not exactly sure when it was, but it was a fairly cheap contract. And to move away from that, is very questionable, Be, and especially to a team, not that they're in your division, but a team that is competitive, so it makes sense for the Cardinals, but you know, if you're going to move him, why not move him out of the division, uh, out of the league at least, into the American League, so you don't have to play him, and he can torch you for the next six years or whenever it is. Excuse me, needed a water. So, in case you don't know, I'm just going to briefly go over Nolan Arenado's accolades so he's been playing in the league for eight years since 2013 he has 235 home runs uh 760 rbis multiple time all-star always in the mvp discussion multiple time gold glove he's been a gold glove at third baseman every year since he's been in the league i'm not even joking from 2013 gold glove 14 gold glove 15 gold i can go all the way down all the way in 2020 gold glove this dude is nails at third base. The best defender in baseball, period. Now, you can argue that Matt Chatham for the A's is just as good as a defender at third base, but Nolan Arenado has been doing this for almost a decade now. Until Matt Chapman does that, which I trust me, he could, the third baseman for the A's, Matt Chapman, he totally could. But until he does, Nolan Arenado is the best defender in baseball. And trading for that alone is massive then again you get his batting and his hitting capabilities 
I'm going to run over his 162-game average. So baseball season's 162 games. His average over the course of a generic season is 35 home runs, 114 RBIs, and a 293 batting average. On top of his nails defense, on top of his brick wall defense, you're getting that kind of player for a bargain if you're the Cardinals. You're dancing right now in St. Louis if you're a Cardinals fan. And if you're a Rockies fan, you're crying. You're pissed off. Now, granted, you could say the same thing when the Red Sox traded Mookie Betts. Yes. Is Mookie Betts better than Nolan Arenado? Conversation for a different day. Uh, completely different positions, you know, that's very hard to gauge. Uh, going back to his contract, Arenado signed his contract that took into effect. Um, no, he signed his contract that started last year, even though it was a shortened season, whatever. So this is the first full year of his contract. He is signed until 2027, uh, where he becomes 36 years old. And now he's going to be with the Cardinals for the rest of his career, more than likely. But let's look at the package that the Cardinals uh, sent over to the Rockies. Now, obviously, when you're trading for a top, uh, a top-tier baseball player, you want prospects back. You want top-level prospects back. When the Red Sox were trading Mookie Betts, you wanted the Dodgers' best of the best, right? You could argue that Verdugo was that. You can argue that Jeter Downs and Connor Wong can be that. However, ultimately, at the end of the day, that package was kind of underwhelming. However, considering that Mookie Betts was on the last year of arbitration, he could easily have walked from the Dodgers organization after last year, but instead he signs a long-term contract. With Nolan Arenado, he already has that long-term contract signed. He's already locked in for the next seven seasons. So obviously his price tag, regardless of skill level, is going to be higher. So the package, the Cardinals, there goes my headphones. The package the Cardinals sent over to the Rockies was actually very underwhelming. Uh, I have to find, I had where it was. Okay, so the Rockies will receive left-hander Austin Gomber. No idea who he is, but this is where the prospects come in because Austin Gomber is a actual professional as of now. He's a bullpen piece for the Cardinals last year. That's all I know about him. The Rockies will also receive prospects third baseman Mateo Gill or Gill, infielder Elahuris Montero. Hope I said that right. Right handers Tony Losi and Jake Somers. So, okay, four prospects, four hopefully promising po- prospects, including a um, MLB arm. But let's now look at the prospects that the Cardinals are sending over to the Rockies in return for Nolan Arenado. So, the Cardinals are trading three of their top 30 prospects in their farm system. Three of their top 30 is pretty good, right? But let's look in to see which of those three prospects they're sending over. So, we already know Montero. He is the 14th rated prospect in the Cardinals system. Not bad. Losi is the 26th. Okay. And then Jill or Gil, whatever, is 28th. That's underwhelming. But the Somers kid, right? Let's. What about him? Is he a top 30 prospect? Well, he is not, actually. He is not a top 30 prospect. So if you're trading, if you're trading away Nolan Arenado, you're expecting to receive a blue-chip prospect or a blue-chip player in return. And when I mean blue-chip, I mean 
can't miss talent. Everyone's got to have him. Everyone scouted him. Everybody wants him, right? And they got none of those back. Instead, they got 14th, 26th, and 28th overall prospects from the Cardinals, plus a guy that's not even in the top 30. What? What? The minimum that you should be getting for Nolan Arenado is two top 10 prospects and then two top 30 prospects that aren't in the top 10. That is the minimum asking price that you should be asking for Nolan Arenado. Now, could these four players, these four prospects, turn out to be studs? Sure. Could they become good players for the Rockies in years to come? Sure. But you're not getting a single top 10 prospect? That's ridiculous. And the Rockies should be ashamed of themselves for that. If this is the case, if this is the trade package or the trade outline for a top 10 player in MLB, the Red Sox, granted they don't have a good farm system, should be able to pull something like this off. They really should be. I, oh, I'm so I'm so disgusted with the Rockies for A, trading Arenado, but B, trading for him for an underwhelming package considering his contract situation and the type of player that he is. Oh, okay. So thank you for bearing with me during my little long baseball segment. I really appreciate you kind of sticking in for it. And just with no further ado, I just want to dive into the Super Bowl. It is Super Bowl week, and on my interview with Joey on last episode, on Monday's episode, we talked about Super Bowl predictions, Super Bowl um, probabilities, what we're expecting, what we could what we could expect, right, or what we could see. And let me grab some water. He, you know, obviously, I asked him what's his, you know, what do you think the score is going to be, and he gave me his score of thirty-one to twenty-four in favor of the Chiefs. Now, I gave him a temporary score. I believe it was 35-31 or 37-34, something like that. But rest assured you, I do have an official score. I do. I actually have two official scores because I have placed a wager for two different outcomes in efforts to win some money. And I'm not going to tell you what wager or how much I wage or how much I could win because I don't condone sports gambling or sports betting. But my projected, let me write this down. My projected Super Bowl winner, or I should say my projected Super Bowl score is 34-27 in favor of the Bucks and 35-31 also in favor of the Bucks. Now, let me back up my claim. First of all, I think it's going to be a relatively high-scoring game. I think the over/under will be 50. It's at 56 and a half, I believe, but I think it's going to be at least over 50. I think that's a guarantee. Both offenses are high-powered. Both offenses are potent. So, having a score roughly around what I have, regardless of winner and loser, I think is very accurate and very um, sensible. I'm picking the Buccaneers because obviously, you know, the money is a little bit in favor of the Bucks. I won't lie. But I also think for other reasons than just a dollar sign, why the Bucks could also win. I think that their offense has the capability. Now, I've mentioned all these points before, but I, I want to reiterate to back up my uh, projection is both their Buccaneers. The Buccaneers offense has the capability to keep up with the Chiefs. That's a fact. They can score 30-plus points. They can score at will. 
except they're just not as explosive as the Chiefs. The Chiefs can throw a little screen pass to Tyreek Hill, and boom, there he goes. He's gone. Buccaneers' offense is a little bit more methodical, where they will pick you apart for 10, 12, 14 play drives. Not that the Chiefs can't. They're just more explosive and dynamic. However, regardless how you get into the end zone, it doesn't really matter. So for that reason, whether it's 40 to 40, whether it's 30 to 30, I think the Buccaneers will be able to keep up with the Chiefs pound for pound. Now, where does the Bucs get the edge? Because a lot of people are picking the Chiefs, rightfully so. And that's not a terrible prediction, right? But I really think where the Buccaneers excel is on defense. Now, the Buffalo Bills defense was very, very good. They couldn't stop the run, but the Chiefs aren't a running team. But Mahomes was still able to pick them apart. When they played against the Browns, who have a very good defense themselves, they were able to pick them apart. But where I think the Buccaneers really excel in comparison to the other AFC teams the Chiefs have already beaten is the front seven. I think their front seven is phenomenal. You got JPP, Vita Vea, Dominican Sue, Devin White, Lamonte David, you got some bad boys back there and who's going to rush the quarterback and whose job is to heckle the quarterback, in this case, Mahomes. In, in tandem to the Chiefs not having a run game, now theoretically running, you know, being able to run the ball turns into, you know, success, victory. You can look at the Chiefs last year and say they were not really able to run the ball but still won the Super Bowl. That's due to Patrick Mahomes. But... When you can truly eliminate a component of football. Now, last year against the 49ers, the Chiefs were still able to run the ball a little bit. However, with the Buccaneers' front seven, how good they are and how good and how good they can be with the star talent, especially when the offensive line for the Chiefs is a little bit in limbo with um, their left tackle going down, I really think if the Buccaneers can exploit that and eliminate any and all run threats, and then heckle Mahomes back there, I really believe that could cause some duress and could cause him to make some mistakes. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Mahomes is going to throw the game away because he's under a little bit of pressure. He's still going to make those plays. He's going to roll out. He's going to scramble. He's going to look into the stands and throw a dime to Kelsey 25 yards down the field. That's just how it's going to be. But if you can eliminate the run game, boom, gone. If you can heckle and put Mahomes under stress, I really think that can kind of help slow down their offense to the point where your offense, the Buccaneers offense, can take that next step and try to excel in the Super Bowl. Nice. Damn headphone keeps falling out. Another thing. Uh, Travis Kelsey was open every single time that he got the ball against the Buffalo Bills. He caught 13 balls. I don't know how many targets, but 13 receptions. And he was open every single time. And I mentioned this with Joey on Monday's episode is he just ran to the line of scrimmage, turned and sat there or just did a little in route and caught the ball. He was open every time because they, the Bills were you know, trying to rush the quarterback and they were trying to play cover too deep. Now, that's a smart defense, cover too deep, but it's not going to necessarily work when you can just have you know Tyreek Hill run across the middle or Kelsey sit in the line of scrimmage, uh, the first down line. Levante David and Devin White are both excellent coverage linebackers. They're quick, they're speedy, they're strong, 
and they can keep up with some relatively faster tight ends like Kelsey is. So I'm saying is if you put one of them, you can go flip-flop, you can just do one, whatever, on Kelsey, man him up, makes it a little harder to get the ball to him. If you're the Buccaneers and you put your fastest cornerback on Tyreek Hill with safety top over the help, that helps slow down that threat as well. Now when you take time to study what the Chiefs have been doing to these other teams like I have, you'll be able to see how to slow them down. I'm not going to sit here and say that, oh, doubling Tyreek Hill is going to stop them. Oh, putting Levante David or Devin White on Travis Kelsey will stop the Chiefs. Oh, their front seven is just going to neutralize the run and Patrick Mahomes is going to play like garbage. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying if the Buccaneers can do these things, these things that I've noticed over the course of the playoffs and watching the Chiefs simply play the game of football, I really think that this is a good strategy or approach to slow them down because, like I said, they are a high-powered offense. And it's going to take a lot to A, keep up, and B, just really make them work because they can score at will. Their offense is so explosive that they can go down the field in four plays and get a touchdown. They can go down the field in 14 plays and score a touchdown. They could do it in one play. They're just that good. So if you can slow them down in any way, dedicate players to neutralizing their big threats, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, while the run is eliminated from your front four and your front seven, now their offense is handicapped and their offense is less high-powered while yours is probably to full strength. Granted, the Chiefs are going to make their own adjustments as well, but I do think that the Buccaneers' defense is better. Although, I do have to respect that the Chiefs' defense has played very well this playoffs and is significantly better than years past. I believe they're a top 10 pass defense. Not sure about the rush, but these are things that we just need to consider. And if you're the Bucks, you're feeling good about yourself. You got a good defense. You got a good offense. You're feeling good. If you're the Chiefs, same thing. Good offense, good defense. It's going to come down to A, coaching, B, adjustments, and C, who can make the right plays at the right time right? You can look at the past few Super Bowls where they've been won or lost on timely plays. Last year's Super Bowl, the Chiefs on that little, I don't know what it was called, like 25 out route to Tyreek Hill where he caught it on the sideline or whatever. And then the um, two Super Bowls ago, the Stephon Gilmore interception um, of Jared Goff. And then you can look at the one before where you can argue um, when it was the Brady and the Eagles, or I should say the Patriots and the Eagles, excuse me where Brady fumbles, or the Philly special even. So there's significant plays and significant moments that really change the momentum or change the direction of the Super Bowl. And we can go even further than that. But for the sake of time and argument, not going to. So I really think that one or two big plays will really shift and really change the um, the nature of the Super Bowl. Just going to see who makes the play, right? And I think that's going to be a huge factor and a huge component of who makes that play or what team makes that play, right? So that's so much to consider. I mean, there's still so much time left before the big game. There's just so much to cover. I mean, the Chiefs offense, the Chiefs defense, the Bucks offense, the Bucks defense. Let's talk about special teams. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to talk about special teams. But... I definitely want to hear what you have to say about my score, my prediction, and I also want to hear what yours is. 
I want to try to accumulate like a list of people's projected scores and projected outcomes. See who can guess it right on the nose. See if they got the score right, but the team wrong, you know, just to, it's just to develop a conversation and discussion, right? So if you're watching on YouTube, comment down below your projected score and winner. If you're watching on Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, wherever, you know, reach at me at Murphs underscore Boston ST. DM me your score, tweet at me your score, whatever, right? So I can jot it all down and maybe we can see who, who got it right. Who, who's watched Back to the Future? You go into the future, you get the sports almanac, and then you place the bet, and then boom, you win because you already know the outcome, right? Good movies, by the way, Back to the Future. I think they're so underrated. A lot of people really don't watch them or at least don't recognize how awesome they are. All three of them, and I really wish there was a fourth one, but I think sometimes when they try to rejuvenate a franchise, they kind of just, you know, crap the bed with it. But I digress. Let's move forward to the MVP, right? Mahomes won the MVP last year. Brady has four Super Bowl MVPs. Who's going to win this year's MVP? Well, I got two, two guesses for you, and I said both of their names. Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes. Nine times out of ten, it's the quarterback of the winning team, right? They make the big throws. They make the big plays. They got the flashy stats. Uh, you could look at the Rams Super Bowl and say, oh, Edelman won that. Or you can look at the Broncos Super Bowl where where Von Miller won. And then you can look at the Seattle Super Bowl over Denver where uh, Malcolm Smith won, a linebacker. So, yes, there's been linebackers to win. But I'm going to run over the past 15 of them, okay? We have, I'm just going to go positional. I'm not going to say the names. Quarterback, wide receiver, quarterback, quarterback, linebacker, quarterback, linebacker, quarterback, 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 wide receiver, quarterback, quarterback. And then obviously Super Bowl 40 was wide receiver. Super Bowl 39 was wide receiver. Then you go into quarterback again with Brady. Uh, 37 was cornerback. So, I mean, yes, there's been defensive players to win the Super Bowl there's been wide receivers to win the Super Bowl I'm not saying that they don't win it I'm just saying in recent history we've had a lot of quarterbacks to win and like I said usually quarterbacks are the ones to put up the fancy numbers because they have to make the big plays when it matters that being said I think that's going to be very similar again this year I think it's going to be a high scoring game like I've mentioned numerous times and who's there to deliver those high scoring games the quarterbacks now, Patrick Mahomes, you could argue that he should have won MVP, that he shouldn't have won MVP, 286 touchdowns, two, 286 passing yards, excuse me, two touchdowns. Considering the nature of the game and how the stats played out, probably should have won. I mean, there wasn't really too much to talk about there. But in retrospective to this year's, I think those numbers are going to be a lot better. I really do, because his weapons are better this year. Um his offense period is better this year. Brady's same thing. His offense is better. His weapons are better this year than it was in New England last year. You could even argue that his offense is better this year than it was two years ago when he won the Super Bowl against the Rams with New England. There's just so much to discuss about with the quarterback. And like I said, it's going to come down to the winning team, obviously. I think there's only been one MVP for the losing team in all of the Super Bowl history. So... Whether the Bucks win or whether the Chiefs win, that team's quarterback 
will win this MVP. I promise you, I guarantee it. And if it doesn't happen, I will be extremely surprised. I'll be very surprised. I'll be very shocked. And I'll be, it'll be awesome to see a non-quarterback win. Trust me. Excuse me, I needed more water. So, like I said, past few Super Bowl MVPs, quarterback, wide receiver, quarterback, quarterback, linebacker, quarterback, linebacker, quarterback, 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 wide receiver, quarterback, quarterback. So, like I said, it's not out of the realm of possibilities for a wide receiver to win or a defensive player to win, but where this game is most likely going to go in the direction that this game is going is more than likely going to be the um, winning quarterback, whether it's Mahomes or Brady. And hopefully that's the case because that means it was a high-scoring game like I'm predicting. And I think the high-scoring games in the Super Bowl are the ones that are most interesting, right? So that's just my thoughts about the MVP. I think it's very logical, my my stance. I don't think it's a hot take at all. And looking, I, I just scrolled up to... Um, Early Super Bowls and the first 10 Super Bowls, quarterback, 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 linebacker, quarterback, safety, fullback, what the, running back maybe, uh, halfback, I don't know, but it says FB, FB stands for fullback, okay, he has 33 carries for 145 rushing yards, that sounds like a running back to me, I mean, you're not going to set up in the I formation and hand it off to your fullback 33 times, right, I mean, at that point, just have him be the single tailback. <laughs> 33 rushing yards for your fullback? Holy smokes. Um, Super Bowl nine was running back. Super Bowl ten was uh, wide receiver. So even early on, you could kind of see that the quarterbacks were you know, very popular in the MVP uh, discussion for Super Bowls, even though uh, let's look at Joe Namath, Super Bowl three MVP, 206 passing yards. Uh, Len Dawson, quarterback for the Chiefs when they won uh, in Super Bowl IV, 142 passing yards, one touchdown, though. So, I mean, granted, the the statistics and the play back then was completely different, but it's still interesting to see and look back. Uh, you see more wide receivers, a lot more running backs uh, win the Super Bowl MVP back then. But like I said, it's a passing league nowadays than it was years ago quarterbacks are so prevalent and they're the main focal point of your offense really so quarterback winning the Super Bowl is definitely uh, definitely possible probable and more than likely going to happen (laughs) Super Bowl 35 MVP Ray Lewis linebacker Baltimore Ravens in his uh, highlights because it gives you highlights on like probably why they were voted so, like, for example, Tom Brady, Super Bowl 36, MVP, quarterback New England, 145 passing yards, one touchdown. Very underwhelming. But Ray Lewis, his his little highlights led a dominant Ravens defense. That caused him to win the Super Bowl MVP because he led a dominant offense, uh, defense? Now, granted, granted, granted. Hold on. Tom Brady's 145 passing yards and one touchdowns is very underwhelming. And... Easily could be like, oh, he shouldn't have won the Super Bowl MVP. Well, I mean, it wasn't really, you know, that insane of a game. It was like 16 to 13. So let's settle down. Um, if we want to point fingers, you Chiefs fans, yeah, Len Dawson, 142 passing yards, one touchdown. So it, it, it happens. It, it happens. 
Uh, let's see. So actually, Brady beat him there. He had three more passing yards. So, ha ha. Um, let's see. Any others that are fun to talk about? No. Oh, Tom Brady in Super Bowl 51, 466 passing yards and two touchdowns. Holy smokes. Oh, and then in the Super Bowl against the Eagles that they lost, Super Bowl 52, he had over 500 passing yards and the dude still lost. And he lost, and he didn't win MVP because uh, Nick Foles, deservingly so, had 373 passing yards, one touch, uh, three touchdowns, and one receiving touchdown um, off of the Philly special. But Tom Brady had 500-plus passing yards and he still didn't win the MVP. So like I said, the winning quarterback, regardless, is going to win the Super Bowl MVP. That's just a fact, and that's always going to be a fact. And hopefully, hopefully, it's the case this year because it's going to just it's going to bring so much more discussion if Brady wins his fifth MVP and his seventh Super Bowl, or if Mahomes wins his second uh, Super Bowl, his second MVP. Just the discussions both ways are, are going to just dramatically increase, and it's going to be so much more interesting. As we um, continue this Patrick Mahomes greatest of all time discussion with a potential another Super Bowl and another potential Super Bowl MVP. As we speak about the Super Bowl really quick, I just want to go on a little side note here. As uh, a week ago or so, I did a naming every Super Bowl winner challenge. It was a quiz that I did on my YouTube channel. It was a YouTube exclusive video that I dropped, like I said, a week ago. Where I sit down and I have like three minutes, I believe it was, three, four minutes, excuse me, to name every Super Bowl winner across the 54 Super Bowl, uh, previous Super Bowls. Relatively easy because you have the Steelers and the Patriots winning six, so boom, there's 12 of them. But, you know, getting into the nitty gritty ones of teams that have won one or two, or just, you know, teams that kind of suck now, but maybe were good uh, earlier on to kind of slide under the rug a little bit it was super fun it was a little stressful i'm not gonna lie but it's definitely something you should go watch and i if you're watching on youtube i will leave a link to that in the description below of this youtube video if you're watching on youtube and if you're watching elsewhere on other platforms spotify apple amazon definitely go check it out on my youtube channel it's murph's boston sports talk on youtube i got every podcast on there already a few YouTube exclusive videos as well that are super fun and engaging. And it's just, it's a good time over there where I'm just able to bring and deliver different content there that I can on this audio, like audio only platforms of, you know, podcasting. So definitely go check that out if you haven't already. So far, so good in terms of uh, feedback from people. It's definitely exciting to see people. Um, enjoy the type of content I'm putting out there on YouTube in addition to the the um, tri-weekly podcast so definitely give it a look and you know, videos drop on there every Tuesday sometimes I'll drop one every now and then just randomly but you know new videos definitely drop once a week on Tuesday so yesterday I actually ranked all the NFL franchises using tier maker so I took all 32 NFL teams and I ranked them accordingly. Um, I think there was five ranks. Um, and yeah, I considered everything for each franchise. Um, Super Bowl wins, playoff success, regular season wins, um, star power, whether it's recent or uh, past. I considered if they suck, if they 
always sucked, if they used to suck and now they're good, or they're, they suck now and we're good, everything's considered, and that, would, that alone was super fun, and I really think that that should be checked out as well, because I love engaging in discussion. That's basically the point of this, right? To have a discussion with you, the listener, to talk about football. I mean, football is very prevalent right now, obviously, with the Super Bowl four days away. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, yet four days away. And with it only being four days away, it's going to be anything, everything football from here on out until after the Super Bowl, after we can have our ending discussions about the game. So with all that being said, I do want to get into one more final quick topic about the Super Bowl, and that is is Madden 21's simulation of the big game, Super Bowl 55. And last year, the Madden simulation of Madden 20 uh, had the Chiefs beating the 49ers, which actually ended a two-year drought of Madden simulation being incorrect, where the year before... They had the Rams beating the Super Bowl in Super Bowl 53, and then they had the Patriots beating the Eagles in Super Bowl 52. Now, this year, they have the Chiefs beating the Buccaneers 37-27, to uh, where Patrick Mahomes wins the Super Bowl MVP, where he also won Super Bowl MVP in last year's simulation. So it's definitely interesting to kind of see because there's not really a track record of the simulation being right or wrong. It's just interesting to see that they could be right for a second year in a row or they could be completely wrong with their projection as they have been in years past. Um, In Super Bowl 51, the simulation had the Patriots beating the Falcons. So it's just so unpredictable uh, unpredictable in that matter where there's no track record of them being right or wrong so you can make it as guesstimate whether it's going to be true or not so this Madden simulation don't hold it with heavy weight you know take it with a grain of salt with that being said I would like to do my own little simulation whether uh, I play as the Chiefs or the Bucks and just kind of see where I can go with the game and see if I can either win lose get you know Brady or Mahomes MVP like I've been predicting and projecting Maybe I can even, you know, get my projected scores that I, I've made um, earlier in the episode, like 35-31 and 34-27 going to the uh, Bucks. Like I said, I have two projected scores because I made a bet on both of them. Like I earlier said, I, I don't condone sports betting, sports gambling, anything of the likes, and I won't discuss any dollar signs or winnings or whatnot, but... I just wanted to give you my reason on why I have two projections and not just one. So with everything that we talked about, we covered a lot of stuff today with the Pedroia retirement, the Arenado trade where I went on a massive tyrant on rant on that, I should say, excuse me, going into Super Bowl. We're talking everything, everything, everything Super Bowl, especially on Friday because That's what we do as a sports podcast. Yes, it's a New England sports podcast. However, we do touch upon major league-wide headlines. And I think the biggest game of the year for all of sports coming up on Sunday fits that bill. And I think all the listeners, all of you, would agree with that claim. So, again, 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 I thank you so much for listening. Again, 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 I thank you so much for downloading If you enjoyed this video, if you're watching on YouTube, 
If you don't mind, if you haven't already, throw a like on it if you enjoyed it. Uh, comment any and all thoughts. What do you think of it? Are my takes preposterous? Are they incorrect? Are they hot? Who knows? I want to hear about it. Throw it down in the comment section below. If you're new to the channel or haven't already, definitely subscribe. And if you're listening on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Google, wherever, on whatever your preferred platform is, definitely, definitely like it, download, uh, reach out to me at Murphs underscore Boston ST. The ST stands for Sports Talk. That's where you can get at me, like I said, on Twitter and Instagram. I want to hear your thoughts about anything, everything that I talked about, whether it's the Super Bowl or not. Hearing your thoughts, engaging in a discussion with you listeners is my main purpose and my main goal. So with all that being said, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. Enjoy your Wednesday. Enjoy your hump day. Hopefully we can get through the rest of this week together and I will see you on Friday. Until then, See ya later. We have a massive episode today. We have so much to talk about, so I don't want to waste any time. Let's just get into it. Let's just dive right into our quick hits. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.